Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, it's Rico from Main China Podcast and Source Fine Asia. I am uh, currently in a car on the way to the gym, so forgive the background noise. But I just wanted to make sure I got this out before, um, you know, got this out in time, got this episode out in time. Uh, just a quick few things I want to remind you guys about is we have our new YouTube channel. So it's Source Fine Asia on YouTube. Uh, we have at the moment... Uh, there's a $2 million fidget spinner story. I have a day in the life, day one, five days in Nantong. I'm going to provide notes in the show, uh, links in the show notes on the website. But yeah, check out the YouTube channel. I'm talking about manufacturing. I'm, I'm showing you examples of what goes on. And it's just nice to have a visual component to the things that I usually talk about. So in this episode, me and Nick Nerov, we were on a train on the way to Hong Kong and, uh, we kind of just, we're talking about his decision to move to China. Um, we've done a video as well for his YouTube channel, Nick Nerov on YouTube. And we just kind of wanted to put out something, talking about the in- investing into China uh, at this stage. What are the advantages of being here right now? And I just threw in my two cents. So, yeah, uh, without further ado, enjoy. Oh, wait. Before I go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, what is a Jinian Kuala, which, it, which translates to... Happy New Year in Chinese, because Chinese New Year is around the corner. Uh, Chinese New Year is officially this year on February 16th, but everything's shut down right now. Like, I'm in Guangzhou driving around the city, and it's pretty empty, uh, which is weird because it's a gigantic city, and it's usually very, very traffic-laden. But um, you kind of feel like the mayor of the city. You go into restaurants, and you're the only person there. There's no traffic. It's quiet. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time to be here. But, uh, yeah. This is uh, me signing off. Enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. On a train to Hong Kong... You know, hashtag, you know, how, how ballers do. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, we've got a shout out to Alan, man. He's a long time listener of the podcast. Um, we're on our way. To, I'm with Nick, uh, who you've heard on previous podcasts about uh, Amazon FBA. Hey, guys. And yeah, we're on our way. Uh, Going to meet with Alan, have a nice little lunch, and, and talk about business opportunities. So excited for that. That's why there's a background noise as well, because we're on the train. But yeah, it should be a short, sweet podcast. And mostly, I guess we're going to talk about Nick's initial experiences coming to China. Yeah, I think I thought it was a, it would be a good idea to uh, record them. First of all, we're on the train and uh, you're pretty caught up with your business. I had an hour in the office, so I thought it would be uh, nice to talk about leading into this. I mean, last time we caught up was practically almost a year ago. I was in Sydney, Australia. I think that was the last podcast we've had. Was it was it a year ago? Uh, it was in April. It was right before my birthday, so it was like March, April. So we're about two months out. So uh, ten months later, here's what happened. So I was in Australia. I uh, went to um, Eastern Europe, Budapest and Croatia, Zagreb, and then spent about four months in Colombia, only to realize that the place that I basically have to be at and I want to be at is China. And uh, since then, since our last conversation, I've done a lot of research on uh, basically looking into uh, economic reports and trying to find a place uh, 
where I would want to invest the next five to ten years of my life? What place is in a good position right now that's rife with opportunity that will just get bigger and better with a lot more bigger opportunities? Uh, and I think China was definitely the top spot, uh, along with India, uh, along with uh, Vietnam. Um, Brazil was on the radar as well. But I think the reason why I like China, uh, especially as a, as a Westerner growing up in Canada, is because it's it's so foreign and so distant. And it's not one of those things where you can just go there, set up, and just get started. It's, it takes acclimation. So it's like the sooner you start, um, the sooner you can kind of get down to real, you know, realizing and understanding the culture the people um the, the mindset especially and if you're in e-commerce like i am in amazon i think it's just it's a night and day you know operating with alibaba um from us or from canada or even from colombia versus being here and visiting the factories and shaking hands you know it's it's just you get treated a lot differently like for example uh, be, uh i spent december in philippines but before i did that I spent 10 days with you and one of your clients uh, was nice enough to allow me to come with you and him uh, to northern China it's Gus, Gus from Hello Fitness he's been on the podcast before Gus from Hello Fitness uh, my boy now super cool dude uh, lives in Hawaii so he's all like Hawaii brah uh, really cool guy so um, you know we went up there and while we were there I basically we, we, we got a chance like a half a day to drive down to my factory because realizing that my factory is actually not that far from there and then coming and seeing my factory which was a lot of pros and cons and like actually seeing it and shaking hands with the with my supplier and the manager of the factory and the woman who's been my contact right this whole time i just felt after we left um i took my notes about the factory you know and uh basically long story short it's like you know basically realizing that i need to have backups on backups and you know learning my lessons from there but after i left the communication just became a lot better um uh, a lot faster uh they sent me a few gifts for new year's which never happened before um they they were just a lot more responsive and i feel like having that face-to-face even for half a day not even uh made kind of a big difference i felt like uh so well i mean i always uh i always talk about part of the part of the aspect of clients paying for my services is them being able to have a face-to-face person at their factory like even right now one of my clients asked me he's actually based in hong kong uh, but he asked me like hey you know I, i'm supposed to I'm, uh, I'm thinking about going to visit the factory and like have lunch with them like not because there's any specific thing on the agenda but just because he's about to travel for like a month or so and uh, he just told, like, you know, it would be good to touch base. And I said, yeah, of course. You know, just going to the factory, sitting down with them, having lunch. Uh, obviously, they're going to talk about the project. They're going to talk about business. But not really even having a clear agenda. It's just building a rapport with the factory. And this is a reminder, you know, sometimes, like, if they've got multiple projects, they kind of, like, even if you met them at the beginning of your project, like, they kind of forget about you. Like, yeah, you, you know, they've got other stuff going on. They're meeting other clients. It's just good to be there, like, in their face and... Um, establish more of a rapport yeah and I feel like it has the, it has something to do with maybe I'm wrong but I think it has something to do with you know the network the Guan Chi right and the face to face and um, 
uh, I think that from the factories, at least that we've seen, the factory bosses that we've seen, yeah, they'll communicate with you in Alibaba and they'll be friendly, but this is it's it's almost like it's forceful to them to do that, like the natural, the organic way to uh, to conduct business in China is to uh, meet in person, you know, either have an introduction. Well, I guess I, that's kind of like the main thing, have an introduction. The second best thing is to come in person, introduce yourself and tell your story and hear their story back and kind of make that connection and face. And I guess th- the worst thing, not the worst thing, but like the last case scenario for them, that's the least ideal is to speak to a stranger online. Even if they send you money, you know, they're still gonna, you're not going to be their priority. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's stuff that I've talked about before in the podcast, and I think most people, if you went to, like, business school, there's when you did, like, international business, they talked about the, the differences between uh, business in different, uh, like, West versus East and stuff, and it's very, it's a very big part of Eastern culture is sitting down and meeting for business meetings and, like, having multiple meetings about the same topic and building that relationship whereas in the west it's more like okay let's get the, what's the agenda let's sit down let's talk about the issues we're done by see you next yeah. week when we have more stuff to do whereas it's like okay we'll talk about we've got 15 minutes of business to talk about but really let's hang out for two hours yeah. and we'll sprinkle business in between the two hour situation but uh, I think of like for me I've I've struck a good balance with that where I go to the factories and I still keep the conversation concise but I still spend more time than I probably would normally with with suppliers and stuff. But yeah, this just comes down to Asian business. Like everything here takes longer. Um, building a relationship with them takes longer. Managing the production stuff like that just takes longer. You have to be patient and accept that. I mean, they're kind of changing because they're used to so many people uh, contacting them through Alibaba and stuff. But um, a lot of factories don't like Alibaba because you might get a thousand inquiries in a day. And none of them go anywhere. So you don't really know, they don't really know uh, whether that person on Alibaba that's contacting them is a serious client or not. Um, Even if the client, even if they end up paying for an order, like a lot of people start off with small orders and promise big orders in the future. And then it doesn't happen. So some factories are kind of like, okay, we'll see. But if you meet them in person, immediately they're doing calculations going like, oh, this person invested the time and the money to travel to China and like meet me which means they're pretty serious and which means their company must be doing well. Um, you know, when when you're working with a company like mine, you can tell them that you have a fucking buying office in, in, in Guangzhou and then they're like, oh, these guys have an office in China? Like, these guys must be a serious company. So, so actually, let me add to that where I can personally vouch for that because you gave me your office address and uh, you gave me one of your staff contacts to kind of, you know, that I can say that's kind of my representative that basically you know before i left to uh philippines for december um i left uh, a few units of my current product and then i started uh shopping around for new suppliers in um in china and uh basically you know i was the first point of contact like it was 
<laughs> who's, who's a little little lady selling some stuff. She's like, uh, you want coffee, tea? <laughs> Just starts Fried yelling, rice. yelling into the mic. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. This is a Made in China podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I left a few units and uh, basically I, I noticed that first point of contact on Alibaba would always kind of be slow reply, you know, they would be slow to answer my questions. But then once I would mention like, hey, I'm actually looking for, because I'm an established business, I'm looking for this kind of quantity. Like I'm not looking for MOQ, which is minimum order quantity. I'm looking for, you know, 50,000 units or like 100,000 units every few months. Um, and I would also like to send you a sample from my Guangzhou office and then I would like you to examine it and then send your sample to my Guangzhou office. And as soon as that was established, that like I live in Guangzhou, I have an office, I have an assistant. You got to start, you got to stop saying Guangzhou. 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 Right. I'll learn. Uh, so fresh up. It's like hilarious to be like, I live in Guangzhou. It's like, you know, it's like yo. Is, is that like, the, is that like uh, gringo saying, uh, I live in Medellin? Or Medellin, Medellin, or you know, Medellin, right? Be like, uh, but, um, but yeah, so th- Montreal, that, yeah, that, Montreal. That, that really made a huge difference. Uh, I've noticed. So before, when I was first starting off on Amazon, you know, I thought that finding the product is is a big deal, and then finding a good supplier that can provide good samples is also a big deal, but not as big as finding the right product. Now I would put those so equally together because I think just the first time, if I'm to be honest, half of it was luck. Half of it, I just got a good supplier with, like you said yourself, when we visited them, they had good quality control. Um, they were not the most organized or the best factory or the biggest one, but they, they had the basics of being a good enough supplier that got me to the level that I'm at right now. Um, which, which was great. And I think I got lucky with that, but I, I've also heard a lot of, scary stories and I'm sure you've heard a ton more than I have being in the industry uh, of people finding what looked to be a good supplier what looked to be good samples and then when they put in an order all these crazy things come out and then they get a get their order in and it's nothing like what they what the sample was yeah, I mean ordered. typically in those situations what some suppliers will do is they'll buy a sample from another supplier yeah. and they'll say this yeah. is this is your sample or they'll make a good quality sample and then they'll cut corners during production um, to save money, basically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, not having that QC in place. And, man, like, it's just... It, those 10 days that we visited those Northern factories, it just opened up my eyes to this whole new ball game that you're the, the guy to go to in. And well, you remember, you remember at the end of the last podcast that we did, uh-huh. one of the questions I asked you was, like, do you think you're going to start doing quality control and, and, and get contracts in place and you're like I don't know yeah you know, whereas I was, now I was yes like, and I was, at yes, the time 100%. I said I was like just give it some time yeah <laughs> and you're right you're right and, and 100% now that yes. I saw the kind of quote unquote fuckery that can go behind the scenes not always like I mean don't don't I don't want to demonize you know factory because they're also like they have their business to run and they have their specific way that they run it which is very different from the west you know I think uh, what you were riffing on before is in the west it's uh, uh, business before relationship in China it's relationship before business right it's, it's done very differently so um you know, I think if I was to start it all over again, I would probably invest in, uh, like, you know, uh, either a sourcing consultant or just a sourcing agent. You know, look around, probably get quotes from three or four sourcing agents that I could find and probably invest in one of them because, uh, man, that could mean, like, difference between losing five grand and, you know, 
saving a lot more money. Yeah, so like right on, now, on right the, now the quotes that you're getting are like ten cents lower than. They're they're basically well. It's better to put in percentages. I think the quotes that I'm getting now is about thirty five percent lower, thirty to thirty five percent lower than what I'm paying right now. My current supplier, and it's understandable because when we went to go visit, I remember uh, I pulled you aside and uh, or you pulled me aside, and then we were talking about it. And it's just like uh, you know. So what are your thoughts, Rico? And you're like, well, here's the pros. Like they seem to be okay organized. Like there is you know stations for each thing. Uh, they have okay quality control. Um, they have a flow that they that they have, but at the same time, it's almost like not worth it for them to do this product because they have other products that are easier and they make more money on. And the organization and the pay structure and the management, the that form of organization, they're you, just, you're they're, just, how they're not they're not specializing on in, in your that particular specific, product. Yeah. And uh, you know that's that's fair enough. Like, and and that one thing is like from from the book, uh, the negotiation book, never split the difference. Yeah. That was a black swan. And once we uncovered the black swan, or I personally uncovered the black swan of like, okay, I see now. This is why they can't come down the price beyond like six thousand or sixty thousand units, whatever. Uh, this is why you know sometimes it takes a little bit slower to reply, or it takes two months instead of one month from the day I order. It's, it's also just it's also just poor management on their part because they had like some relationship with a uh, supplier, raw material supplier, where it was like it didn't matter how much they ordered in raw material, it was still the same cost. And I was like, that just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you continue working with this raw material supplier when you're you're gonna double the amount that you usually order from them, and they're still gonna charge you the same price? Like, this is poor management. Like, what are you doing? So, I mean, that was, that was just stuff like that. Like, um, while they're capable of making the product, their 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 management of the business isn't very good. Um, and then also just they're not specializing in, in the product that you're making so they're never going to innovate they're never going to come up with ways to make it easier or faster or better quality or cheaper because it's like a side product exactly and it was like a little factory like three floors third floor is completely empty it's kind of like something from like the walking dead you know I'm just like what the hell happened here <laughs> what's going on it's like boonies middle of nowhere like taking dirt roads there I'm like holy shit what did I get myself into and yet they still make good product it's a bit overpriced but they still make good product that I make money on you know? yeah I mean I, I don't know I think simply I always I always say the same thing is you have to you have to weigh up the pros and cons like I think that for example there's, an, there's also an, the 80-20 aspect to this at the beginning when you're starting off you don't have that much money you don't have that much time so it does make sense that you end up working with not the best supplier and it's like yeah I mean can you afford to pay a sourcing company $5,000 to manage your project at the beginning no because probably your entire budget is $5,000 so like there's going to be some things that you can't do but at the end of the day you can vet you can vet suppliers based on you know looking at when you ask them the right questions this is stuff that I've talked about in the podcast before basically like asking them for references um, asking them to show you their business license pictures of their factory of their operations uh, you want to see how open they are how honest they are with their processes and stuff like that and, and I think uh, I agree with you 100% there because when I was starting I was starting off with 
basically all my money went into product and freight forwarding to Amazon. I there's no way that I could afford like a sourcing agent, right? And, I, and like I said, I just got lucky. And I think it kind of comes down to like the budget that a person has. Like you know, if you're making good money, investing into that kind of service on the ground is worth it. For me, for example, I would much rather come to China myself and actually live in China because I'm so interested in like understanding this culture. And I think that. Uh, learning the language, learning the culture, and uh, learning how the manufacturers work here is going to pay such huge dividends, personally. But there's also dudes like Scott Volker, who's got a family back home, right? He just needs to like figure out. Like, I'm sure Scott Volker has a man on the ground in China that like looks into his stuff, manufactures it, and uh, you know, uh, and it's kind of like part of his team, you know. Um, but I think if you're traveling, like I think probably majority of your listeners are like digital nomad guys, right? Uh, if you're in Southeast Asia, hopping over to China, I don't think I don't. I think no. it's a mix. I think it's a mix. I think a lot of. Uh, I mean, maybe you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of my listeners are males between 28 to 35. Some digital nomads. Some people who are aspiring entrepreneurs who okay. had good careers and are trying to branch out, just starting years. off. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or in their first or second year. That'd be an interesting, interesting thing to uh, have, like a little, uh, what's it called, like uh, survey, survey monkey. I, I go based on yeah, survey monkey. I go based on like the inquiries that I get, okay. and, like my email list. Yeah, and it seems to be that. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually one thing that we were talking about before about you know George Clooney and how you were saying uh, in an interview he said that you know one of the best things that ever happened to him was he never got famous at 20 and then uh, you know I kind of translated that into business it's like you know uh, making these mistakes instead of like you know start you know getting big success and getting a lot of money whether from parents or from lottery or from just like hitting it big with an app like Facebook or something having a shit ton of money in your 20s where you're still figuring life out I guess you know what would it look like so let's say 20s what if your 20s were not spent on doing what we're doing like you know just trying business like moving to different countries and figuring this out what if your 20s were spent working a 9 to 5 and then by the time you're 30 which I guess is like the median age of your of your listeners you're just starting to get into this like how does that look differently would you imagine if you had to Mm -hmm. uh I feel like there's a lot more preconceived notions at that point. There's a lot more mental barriers to overcome, and probably a lot of guys have families at that point or serious girlfriends. Yeah, the problem for me is like I've, I, I'm 25, and it's like I've I've never. <laughs> I mean, I had a full time job, I guess, towards the end of uh, school. I mean, I've worked nine to five. I've worked in a corporation before, so I, I kind of have felt it. But I mean, I never, never for more than six months to a year. So I really can't relate to that. Um, so it's hard for me to even come up with an idea of like how people feel in those situations but I could imagine that yeah I mean you spend five, six, seven, eight years of your life working 9 to 5 and working for companies and having that stable uh, stability to jump into entrepreneurship it might seem very daunting Um, but I I, and I always say that the most important thing in those situations is trying to surround yourself with people that are like minded because the, all it takes is for you to see one other person that you know do do it or start, then you go like, oh, okay, that person started, then I can start. You know, I mean, that's pretty much what it was for me was just um, seeing like Dima who was one of our friends in Toronto, and then Rohan uh, start their companies. Like, 
I mean, I met Rohan when he was literally just starting his company. Like, he was literally applying for government grants and stuff like that, like working at home. And now he's got like 200 employees in this ridiculous company. You know, he's being featured in like Forbes Canada. You know what I mean? So it's like when you see that growth, you're kind of like, yeah, man, I. Of course, Rohan's like a genius, but. Like Still, number four or number six in like Canada's top fifty startups. Of no, the I, year or something well, like that. yeah, startups of the year. But then in terms of just uh, educational software, it's number one yeah. by far, by far. Um, but yeah, it's, and of course, Rohan's a genius, so that's that. But like, yeah, he's a yeah, smart dude. He's but a I mean, like to say genius is he's like a genius, it's, it's a cop out. It's a cop out because like, oh well, he's a genius. No, I'm saying, I'm saying it could be intimidating. He's a smart dude. That's what I'm saying. It could be. Let me finish my point. I'm (laughs) saying, of course, Rohan is a genius. So, like, you might look at him and say, well, I can't do that. But there's also very practical steps that he took that anybody can take. And when you talk to somebody at the beginning stage and you kind of, you know, keep up with them and you see the progress and you ask them, how did you do this? How did you do that? And he kind of just gave me, like, I read this book. I took this and I added this. I read this book. I took this ad. I found a mentor. This is how I found a mentor. It's just like very very practical advice that he gave me and I followed those steps and that's part of the reason why I'm here right now um, so yeah I'd say like yeah if you're in that position it's just first thing would be try to find other people that are interested in doing what you're doing or interested in doing what you want to do and then maybe try to find people with a little bit more experience yeah I think uh, it's also uh, this is something that I've been thinking about uh, quite a bit for the end of 2017 and uh you know, my thoughts on this is that I think that there is this whole Gary V syndrome going around where I think a lot of people listen to his videos or his podcast and like get some pumped, get some inspired, but then they're thinking, but how am I supposed to get there? Like everybody, nobody thinks in terms of, or probably not a lot of people think in terms of like, man, a hundred bucks a month online or like, man, a thousand bucks online. Well, I think, I think there's two, everyone's like a million. I think right now there's two schools, right? Like not two schools, but like I'll just for argument's sake, I think there's the Tim Ferriss school and then there's like the Gary Vee school. So the Tim Ferriss school is the, you know, make $5 first, make a hundred dollars first. And even the way Tim Ferriss is, he's much more reserved and quiet. Whereas Gary Vee is like the hustle. Yeah. Big hustle, hustle. Big goals. I'm going to buy the Jets. Yeah. You know, it's like that. <laughs> Every time we talk about Gary Vee, I'm just like, I'm going to buy the Jets. I'm going to buy the... Anyways, but like, there's two there's two different schools. So like, if you come into entrepreneurship and Gary Vee is your guy, you're always going to be aiming for big goals at the beginning, which can be good and bad because like, if you don't, if you don't make it, like you say, oh, next year I'm going to make $100,000 and then you don't, very disappointing or it's like I'm going to make $100,000 and you haven't even st- started business anything. ever yeah, exactly. like you haven't even made a dollar it's like do you know how difficult it. it is to make 10 grand from entrepreneurship like 100 yeah. yeah like first of all just try to make $100 like try to make Straight 5 up. dude that's yeah. how I, that's how it started for me Ryan and I when I was living back in the frat uh, Ryan and I he stayed in my room for a week straight and our agreement was make a dollar online we started with Fiverr I did like Russian to English translation and I think he did like motivational pep talk like 20 minute motivational pep talk and around the same time around like day number 5 number 6 each one of us made 10 bucks so we got 2 gigs we fulfilled them we made the money so we went to the bar and spent a lot more money than we made but it was still like holy shit okay we started so now how do we make 100 you know and he started doing his copywriting thing for me it wasn't until later like much later that I started uh, the Amazon thing but you know I think the focus here is like start with 500 to 1000 bucks first then like once you get to that level 
think. Okay, I wouldn't even say five hundred to a thousand. I'd, I'd literally say five dollars. Okay, whatever. Like, five bucks. Yeah. Make it as small as possible. Go with all, five. All you need. Know. All you need is to get that initial five. And chances are, if you aim at five, you're probably going to get ten. Yeah. And that that feels great. And it was such a mental thing, right? It's like it's overcoming mental barriers. I think that when you're a tad older. So, like, I'm talking, you know, guys maybe, like, 30 and older. I don't know personally because I'm not there clearly. But I think that you have a lot more, you know, uh, sort of, like, solid beliefs of the world. And you're thinking, like, man, it's it's hard. Like, these young guys can do it, but it's not for me. I don't have experience. Like, I don't I'm understand not sure, I'm not sure. I'm not sure a 30-year-old would think like that, though. 30 is pretty young. I feel like... Uh, Maybe somebody in their mid thirties. Well, let's say the older you are getting, the more you're set in your ways. I guess. Yeah. That, that's. I guess. Like, I'm, I'm also speaking very well, generally. So it's, right. It's, it's not going to apply to well, everyone. It's, re, it's re, like repetitive behavior, right? Like you reinforce your beliefs because you've been doing this thing for X amount of time. Yeah. And then you believe that, like, hey, you know, entrepreneurship is a young man's game. Or yeah. Whatever. It is. Whatever it is. But it's like, yeah. Even Gary talks about that. He's like, you can start a business at seventy. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even, you know what, like, I don't even, I, for for example, for me with Amazon, I don't even look at it as starting a business or being an entrepreneur. I just think about it as just go on Amazon, find a product, you know, there's a lot of criteria. Like right now, there's just so much uh, information on, on Google that you can find that will teach you exactly how to do it. Uh, I remember even when I started my YouTube channel, like, uh, that's that was the aim. Like, here's, I have like a 30-minute video, like, here's how I do my product research. Speaking of YouTube uh, channels, Source by Asia YouTube channel, check it out. There you go. And um, yeah, so you know, you you basically you have to find the product that sells well, that doesn't have a lot of competition. Go on Alibaba, find a supplier or a couple of suppliers that can produce that product. Get some samples, tell them how to improve samples. Get a second row of samples. All right, this is the one. Package it, you know, nicely. You can probably get a Fiverr designer to design packaging or something like that. Uh, package it nicely, get like a couple of hundred units, order it to the Amazon warehouse, and let them fulfill, let them do everything. That's it. Like, man, I don't even look. Like, right now, I'm at a level where if I had to ballpark it, I'm about 300 to 400K a year revenue. So that's only revenue. But still, I don't even look at it as a business. I'm just like selling some products on Amazon, you know? And maybe that's like downplaying it a little bit, but really, that's the reality of it, you know? So I think it's more of a mental barrier than actually physical. And the thing is, the big thing that I, I think works for guys nine to five, if you're at least somewhat smart with your money, is that you have that cash reserve to try and test it, you know, to kind of try it, fail, and not get destroyed. Because if I failed on my first product and never sold, I w- it would have set me back another year. Because now I have to run the window cleaning company again for another year, save up more money, you know, try and on top of that, I have like the 30k debt that I owe for school. So you know, it would have taken another year to kind of take off. Uh, but as a 30, 35, 40 year old, you you have that cash reserve where you can dedicate five grand to test a product and you know just spend the due diligence of researching and launching it. Or even before that, the step before that, that I was that I always recommend people before you even start putting down money for Amazon or drop shipping, start freelancing, go on Upwork.com, you know, and f- f- find a skill or learn a skill within a couple of months, and then start, you know, working that after your nine to five, six to ten could be your time where instead of watching TV or playing video games, you could you know do something on the side. I'm laughing at my podcast because it's like. <laughs> we're making that transition from like just talking about straight up uh, manufacturing stuff to like trying to inspire people. Ah, yeah. 
like that, like the episode, the episode I did with Noam a while ago is kind of like that as well. Believe in yourself. You can be like me. I wonder, I wonder if people ever get tired of listening to this. Like, dude, like, fucking man, I heard this a thousand times. Well, yeah. Well, that. the thing is, like, sometimes a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we talk about uh, the the steps that it takes yeah. is stuff that Tim Ferriss talks about, stuff that Gary Vee talks about. And it's like we're regurgitating them yeah. from our own experiences and they're regurgitating uh, Think and Grow Rich or whatever, you know, from their own experiences. From their own experiences. Yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's okay because... You know, some people might be listening to the podcast for the first time and have never read the four-hour work week. Yeah. Or they don't know who Gary Vee is. Freedom Fastlane. Freedom Fastlane. Or Millionaire Fastlane. You know, so it's like, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure there's people that have read those books and they're like, okay, I know, I know, like, I know what it is, sure. but there's other people who maybe aren't that familiar with it and yeah. it's fine. All right, guys, if you want to find me, you have to go to sourcefinancial.com slash made in China. And, uh, if you want to see the show notes for the podcast, the books that we mentioned, the, other podcasts that we talked about um, also like I said YouTube channel Source Find Asia at this stage we have the five days in Nantong video out. the day in the live video is going to be out I think by the time this podcast comes out I know I mentioned that before but we had some issues with YouTube they uh, blocked one of the songs that we were using so I had to uh, re-edit it and uh, I'm going to be reposting that I think this week alright cheers